we're in a three-week exploration titled Eliminating Worry. Uh, and I invited Bill to come and share this week. So let's see what he uh, let's see what he wants to say. I think it's going to be good because that's my so far my testimony of Bill speaking into my life tends to be good. <laughs> Stop it, you! All right, let's um, let's pray for Bill. Why don't we stand to pray just so there's a bit of a bit of a movement? Otherwise, it's too easy to be a bit passive. So let's pray for Bill. Father, thank you for Bill. Thank you for the way that he's walked the journey of eliminating worry in his life, that he continues to to fight to live as Jesus models and Jesus invites. We pray that he would open our eyes to Scripture today, that we would hear your voice directly through Scripture, and pray that Bill would hear your voice too as he speaks. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. My hands are actually quite clammy right now. Um, Maybe clams for breakfast was a mistake. (laughs) I thank you. Um, So the the first thing I did was look in a concordance um, for New Testament passages on worry. A concordance is a book, um, (laughs) which, which... (laughs) <laughs> which is a reference book that tells you where to find Bible verses on different themes. So I looked up worry, and sorry, is that, does that answer the question? Okay. And what I discovered was that there are two great passages on worry, and they're both in Matthew's Gospel. Um, one is the parable of the Torah, the other is the Sermon on the Mount. And so last week, Andrew took the one on the, the parable of the Torah. Next week, Charlie is doing uh, the Sermon on the Mount. And so the new boy gets the dregs, the remains, the leftovers, or so I thought. Um, But let's have a look at those dregs, if you please, Michael. So um, 1 Peter 5, quite a famous passage. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God, and at the right time he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares about you. Um, And what I noticed, the thing that struck me about this was the two ideas. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand. Place yourselves under his authority. Be obedient to him. And then the second idea is about worries and cares. And surrendering our worries and cares to him. And so the, th- the, the question that occurred to me was, um, is Peter just putting two completely disconnected ideas together there? Did he just happen to have those thoughts in a collision and so he listed them? Or is there a link? Is there a link between placing ourselves under God's authority and discovering this worry-free life? So then I had a look at the other uh, passage, which is Philippians, Philippians 4, which says this. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, my question is, is the same idea, that same connection of two themes present also in this passage. I think it is. I think it's implied here rather than explicit. 
I wonder if you can see it. The Lord is here. The Lord. When, when Paul says the Lord, referring to Jesus, is that just a title? Or is that, is that rich with meaning for Paul? Is Jesus, is Jesus Paul's Lord? Has he, is, is Paul Jesus' servant every day? Is that how he regards Jesus? Well, that's my working hypothesis, that these two ideas actually go together. Um, and so my, my questions in this talk are, first of all, is that true? Is it true that there's a connection between obedience, between placing ourselves under God's authority, and living a life that's free from worry? Secondly, uh, if so, what is that connection? How does that work? How does it work? that link between authority and submitting to God's authority and finding ourselves under his care? And thirdly, can that understanding kind of help us practically to live worry-free lives? Because I, I think that's the challenge on this topic. You know, it's almost paradoxical. Jesus says, do not worry, as though we ourselves can simply obey, as though it's a choice, as though we can just flick the switch and turn off the worry. Now, it's almost paradoxical that the more you try, the more you worry. You know, it's like saying, do not think of a pink elephant. You know, what are you thinking of? Um, and so Jesus says, do not worry. But the big question, I think, in this series is, yeah, okay, but how? How on earth can we switch it off? How can we live worry-free lives? And so I'm wondering, is, uh, I'm wondering does this link, this uh, potential link, between God's authority and obeying God and worry. Does that exist and how does it help us to live worry-free lives? Um, does that make sense? Now, my answer is yes, I think there is an important link. And I think you see it throughout the Bible. Let's go right back to the very start. Okay, this is Genesis 2. Um, Genesis 2 presents a picture. Adam and Eve in a garden. Uh, can I have that picture, Michael? And there are two, it's, it's such a famous uh, image, Adam and Eve in the garden. But I want to point out two things. The first is that in the garden, Adam and Eve have everything they need. There is no cause for worry in the garden. And it, what's interesting is Jesus talks about uh, food and clothing in the Sermon on the Mount. In the garden, Adam and Eve can eat of any tree they like apart from one. And they have no need of clothing. Um, and I think that's symbolic of the fact that they have no needs. There is nothing to worry about. They are under God's care in the garden. But they're also under his authority. And in fact, that's the condition for remaining in the garden. There's just one rule that there's one tree you can't eat the fruit of. He, he might equally have drawn a line in, on the ground and said, do not cross that line. What he's done is given them a choice, a choice to trust and obey or a choice to disobey. And we all know what happens. They disobey. And next picture, please, Michael. They leave the garden. Disobe re refusing to accept God's authority 
means they walk out from the garden. They walk out from under his care. I think what you see in Genesis 2 is this link, this picture between the two things. And the, one, the final thing I'd say about Genesis 2 is to, to point out that this is God's design. This is what we were meant for. When God created humans, this is the kind of relationship that he was looking for. A relationship in which we are under his authority and under his care. Okay, let's wind forward a bit to uh, Israel. Israel pre-exile. Israel in the promised land. A land flowing with milk and honey. Now, this is the prime real estate in the Middle East. This is the fertile land. This is the land where you don't need to worry about food. And more than that, if you look at God's promises to Israel as they enter the promised land, it's it's like this is good land, but also, supernaturally, your vineyards will always give a rich harvest. You know, your your flocks of sheep are just going to multiply you're going to be safe from foreign invaders. It's like, in this land, you do not need to worry. I am your provider. You are under my care. There is no cause for worry because you're my people in my land and I am meeting your needs. I'm providing for you. There is no need to worry if you can obey. Can you obey the law? Can you be faithful? Can you trust me? Are you willing to accept me as your king? And that's where it began to go wrong. They looked at the other nations and they decided they didn't want God as king. They didn't want divine authority in their lives. What they wanted was human authority, like all the other nations. They wanted a king of their own who wasn't God, and which is a step out from under God's authority. And we all know, again, what happened. The rot sets in. They increasingly turn away from him and disobey the law. And so what happens? They have to leave the land. Rebellion, refusal to obey, results in being exiled from the place where they didn't need to worry. See a theme developing? Um. But what about today? What about us? Because the garden is a creation myth. Um, Pre-exile Israel is ancient Near Eastern history. What's our situation? Well, I would suggest that this is the situation we find ourselves in. We're not offered a kingdom in the sense of a territory in Palestine, but we are offered a kingdom in the sense of exactly the same relationship. The invitation that Jesus lays out to enter his kingdom is another way of saying, let me be your king. That is how you enter the kingdom. It amounts to the same thing. We choose to place ourselves under his authority. And I would suggest that that's the place where we discover his care. And that's the place where we discover that he will meet our needs 
and we have no cause to worry. Um, Placing ourselves under his kingship means placing ourselves under his care. Uh, I did a bit of research yesterday. I looked up conferences on the kingdom of God. Uh, Conferences this year on the kingdom of God. And I looked up the topics for uh, the various seminars and talks. And they were exactly what you'd expect. They were all about power. They were all about the power of the Holy Spirit and signs and wonders and powerful proclamation and seeing large numbers of conversions and healing. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of that. That's all good stuff. But I find it striking that when Jesus teaches about life in God's kingdom, one of his major themes is living without worry. How many people have been to a Kingdom of God conference where the major theme was worry? And I would suggest that that's because these two things are intimately connected. As far as Jesus is concerned, living worry-free is a symptom of living under his authority and living under his care. Ouch. Uh, let's have a little think about obedience. Does that word, does that very word send a slight shiver down your spine? I think it does for most humans. It does for me. Humans in general don't like being told to obey. If you think about 21st century Britain and compare it with 50 years ago, 100 years ago, we're far more skeptical about authority particularly institutional authority, than we used to be. We're far more questioning of people who claim to have authority in our lives. Um, When I catch the bus to work in the morning, the bus goes past the People's Republic of Stokes Croft. Um, It goes past Bridewell Police Station. And it goes past an empty plinth where a statue used to stand. And I think all three places remind me that Bristol, of all cities in the UK, has a particular reputation for sticking two fingers up to authority. And I think there's lots in that that's good. I think it's quite good there's an empty plinth. And I think it's it's valid to question human authority. It's legitimate. I think... Uh, human authority in the 20th century has a lot to answer for. Lots of abuses. It's, it's healthy skepticism. But this is God. This is God's authority we're talking about. And for several reasons, I think that completely transforms the situation. First of all, God is creator. It's his world. So he has the power to intervene in that world, however he chooses. And that's the second thing. He is sovereign. He has the right to intervene, to make changes, to provide for us, to keep us safe. Thirdly, he is omniscient. Now, what does that mean? It means he knows our circumstances. He knows our future and he knows us. 
In other words, he knows exactly what's best for us. Exactly what we need. He has the power, he has the right, he has the knowledge. Most of all, he loves us. He loves us more than we love ourselves. He knows what's best for us far better than we know what's best for us. And he wants what's best for us. And the big question is, do we believe that? Do we know him and do we believe that all those things are true? Because if we do, then obedience is kind of inevitable. It's kind of obvious. It's kind of the natural result of believing those things and knowing those things about God. It's utterly different from human authority. Yeah, was that a question? Yeah, far away. (laughs) It's all right. No, <laughs> I, I agree entirely. I think Christian, lead, Christian teachers bear a very, very heavy responsibility. They are representing God. And, yeah, I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. Yes, uh, uh, and it's, it's, it's worth remembering, you know, a, a Christian leader's... Ca- the best human Christian leader will not care for you and love you as much as God does. We're always mixtures. We all have agendas and, you know, conflicts, and I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so, uh, so, yes, so all those things mean that obedience, when we're talking about God, it's, it's kind of a different game from when we're talking about human authority. Um, yeah, here, final thought on obedience. In the Bible, there are lots of metaphors for God and a relationship with God. He's described as father. He's described as shepherd. He's described as Lord. He's our husband, our lover. Our, our great high priest, etc., etc. And I think sometimes I hear people talking as though it's a menu. Someone might say, "Well, I prefer to think of I prefer to think of Jesus more as a friend than as a Lord, as though we can pick and choose what kind of relationship we have." And I, I'm afraid I think that's just wrong-headed, or rather, it's a misunderstanding. The fact is that a relationship with God is so rich and so all-encompassing that one metaphor won't do it. It's like you're walking around a great big thing and every, every different angle you look at it from, you see something new. And so you need another way to describe the same thing. To know him as Lord is to know him as friend is to know him as shepherd, is to know him as provider. We don't get to pick and choose. And so obedience is part of the package. To place ourselves under his authority 
is to place ourselves under his care. Uh, the, I think there's one more ingredient in, in, the, in this mixture, which is this, uh, the real presence of God. The other thing I noticed in those stories I, I picked out, in the garden, Adam and Eve experienced the real presence of God. The Lord walked with them in the cool of the, cool of the afternoon and spoke with them. Where was the presence of God when Israel was a nation in, within its own boundaries? The one place on earth where the presence of God dwelt was the temple in Jerusalem. It's the, the other element in our picture of authority and uh, care. It's presence. We, to place ourselves under his authority is to place ourselves under his care and to place ourselves in his presence. And I think this matters because, um, uh, now Ben Watson isn't here today, and I'm slightly glad of that because I could see him challenging what I'm about to say. Um, Because, to a certain extent, we can tackle worry ourselves. We We can choose our thoughts. I have benefited from cognitive behavioral therapy. You know, there are useful techniques about uh, making sure your thoughts are healthy. You don't get into bad thinking patterns. And that makes a difference. It helps to tackle worry. But I would suggest that a lot of worry is irrational and involuntary. You know, no one sits down and says, I know how I'm going to solve this problem. I'm going to have... I'm going to imagine the same worst-case scenario a hundred times over the next two hours because that'll fix it. No one says that. A, because it doesn't solve the problem, and B, because you do that involuntarily. You don't choose to worry. And so I, I would suggest that worry has deeper roots than we can tackle simply through CBT. Uh, but I would suggest in my experience, that those roots are addressed by experiencing the real presence of God. It's when we know that he is with us, when we know that we're in the palm of his hands, but more than that, when we experience and feel as though we're in the palm of his hands, that he's right with us, that he's caring for us, that's that's what digs those persistent roots out. It's the combination of the logical, but also the, the emotional, or deeper than the emotional, that the knowledge that he is present with us, the knowledge of him. Um, I became a Christian at school, and I was an anxious teenager. Um, and my, my dominant memory of that time is experiencing his presence for the first time knowing that he was there and knowing that he loved me and cared for me. And as I experienced that for the first time, my anxieties melted away. I I experienced a real release from the worries and the anxieties that plagued me as a teenager. And often I've looked back and I've, I've longed to go back to that place where I knew his presence and experienced that freedom from worry. But I think the key is to place ourselves under his authority. When we do that, we experience, but we experience his presence and our worries begin to melt away.
Finally, um, I think there's a big risk that you now feel thoroughly condemned. Um, Am I saying that if you worry, you are not in God's kingdom, that you have rejected him as Lord? No, I'm not. I'm not saying that. Because fundamentally, this is a process. I would suggest that entering God's kingdom is a lifetime's occupation. It takes a lifetime to enter God's kingdom. And what it looks like is one big decision followed by thousands of daily little decisions. We, we, we make one big choice. Yes, yes, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord. And then day one, we, discover, we begin to discover all the ways in which he isn't our Lord. And we have to gradually, step by step, put them right. Um, did anyone watch Peter Jackson's um, eight-hour, four-part documentary on the Beatles just before Christmas? Does it, in other words, does anyone have Disney Plus? Because um, we do. <laughs> uh, can I have the next picture, please, Michael? There they are. Um, I loved it. But one thing I loved about it was how you saw that genius is hard work. Genius is really hard work. I think the Beatles, more than any other uh, pop or rock artist, they're, they're like Mozart in that you listen to a Mozart piano concerto or you listen to a Beatles song and it sounds complete and inevitable. It sounds kind of perfect, as though, as though they, as though they discovered something that had always existed, rather than they created something out of nothing. They went through a process of creating something. And, and I think this documentary gave the lie to that. You discovered that writing these songs was sheer hard work, was boring. And it was day after day. There's a lovely bit right early on at Twickenham Studios where Paul clearly has an idea for a song and he starts strumming away just with a couple of riffs, a couple of chords and he's humming a tune to himself, but it's just two notes and he's humming and humming and it's like he has this idea for a song and he's struggling to make it, to find expression. And then you recognize it and you realize that what you're seeing is the song Get Back kind of being born. But it's nothing like the get back we know. And then over the following days and weeks, they kind of chisel away at it like a sculptor. And they, they play it again and again and again. And they make little changes each time. They change the lyric. They argue about how the intro should go, which bits should be syncopated, uh, whether to start with a chorus or a verse. And all these decisions, they try it again and again and again, and they fettle it, and they worry about it, and they get bored, and they argue. And then they come back and they have another go. Um, on the 23rd of January, they did 43 takes of Get Back. And at the end of that, they still hadn't reached the final version. Um, there's a lovely bit right at the end, after the concert on the rooftop, where they play, let it, they record Let It Be. And they're all tired and they're all bored. They, they record Let It Be for the umpteenth time. And the magic words come up on the screen. 
this is the take that ended up on the album. And you think, this is a song that I've, I've listened to, for, you know, hundreds of times over the years, and this is them recording it. And you think, that is amazing, and it's perfect. It's just perfect. And at the end, um, John Lennon says, well, I think that was rather grand. I'm going to take that one home. And, the, and so Paul checks with the producer, Glyn Johns, and he says, Glyn, uh, how was that for you? And Glyn says, yeah, that was great. And Paul says, let's do another one just to be sure. And now when I, when I catch myself worrying, I see that as Paul saying, let's have another go. Let's have another. There's something here that we can work on. There's something here we can fettle. There's something here we can. There's a little warning here that there's something not quite right. Something that needs to be brought back under Jesus' authority. Now, in this analogy, I am not Paul McCartney. Uh, the Holy Spirit is Paul McCartney, who want, who's nagging and wants to have another go. I have a choice. I can either be George Harrison, who's grumpy and fed up and grumbling and wants to leave the Beatles because he's had enough. Or I can be Ringo, faithful Ringo, the least talented of them all, who's always ready to do another take. But that's up to me. Um, I've just started a new job. And so I catch the bus past all these places uh, down to the M shed. My new job involves operating large old machinery in public. And it's the kind of thing that can prey on your mind. Um, I mean, the, we, haven't ha- we haven't killed anyone in 40 years, but it's the kind of thing that can prey on your mind. You know, what, especially the what-if question. What if that steam train did plow into a cyclist? And, and so what I've, I'm now in the habit, on the bus in the morning, of saying... Lord, just today, I place this under your care. Let me today be under your authority so that I can allow you to take responsibility. Because you can control what happens today, and I can't. And so I surrender it to you. I give it to you. And it's amazing how this thing that seems daunting I find myself able to step into and to feel fairly peaceful about. Amen. Thank you, Bill. Well, hey, part of our um, culture here at Hope, which which enables us to take a message like that and, oh yeah, yeah, get that water down you, mate. I'd hate you to faint. <laughs> uh, part of our culture which helps us to, to take a talk like that and actually, and actually drive it into our lives is, is our living free culture and the culture of repentance of taking those moments where you, where worry is present and uh, allowing ourselves to recognize is that, that is an area of our life where we are not placing ourselves under God's authority. And I think we can actually exchange the word authority with care. I think we can interchange them because that's the nature of His authority. It's all about care. Um, so what I'd love you to do, Bill, is to lead us in a prayer of repentance for areas of war in our life, not not where God is telling, our, telling us, our, us off, but where we are choosing to come back under God's care in whatever area it is. So should we stand and, and Bill will lead us and then we'll be done.
Então. Um, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you that you want to um, you want us to enjoy that relationship in the, a garden type relationship, a relationship where you are um, taking on our needs, where we are under your care. Lord, it, it seems so attractive that it's almost too good to be true. But Lord Jesus, your command that this is something we should go for gives us confidence that it is actually within reach. You're not telling us to reach for the impossible. So Lord, would you give us that faith that it is possible bit by bit, day by day, step by step to, to move into that worry-free life. Um, and thank you, Lord, that, that you are like Paul McCartney, ch- kind of chivying us. Um, that every day you, you point out, you put your finger on something in our lives that we can work at. In order that our lives turn into masterpieces of not worrying. And so, Lord, please help us to cooperate with you in the process. Not to beat ourselves up because we worry, but to surrender to the process and to cooperate with you. And Lord, I ask that by your spirit now, you would bring to mind around this room um, any specific areas where you're inviting us to to place our lives under your care. Any specific um, responsibilities or um, situations, relationships, roles. And particularly if it's something that we've kind of got used to living with. But you're saying, no, it doesn't have to be this way. Lord, thank you that you are gentle, that you're kind. But thank you, uh, thank you that you're patient. But thank you that you don't give up, that you keep on. And so I ask, um, that, that, uh, you would enable us now, um, to hand that area to you. Why don't we do business with him? Just silently. If something has come to mind, hand it to him. Place it under his authority. And Lord, I ask that where people have done that, that they would experience real freedom. Freedom, peace, and a knowledge of your presence in those areas uh, today. Lord, by your spirit, may people experience uh, that process that, that I've been talking about. 
May it be real. And finally, Lord, help us to turn it into a habit. As we catch ourselves worrying, help us to get into the habit of turning to you, recognizing your lordship, surrendering to your authority, and experiencing your care, and experiencing those worries just evaporating, melting away. As Andrew said, it's all part of the same thing. It's different words to describe the same relationship. Thank you. Amen.